Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, May 30th. You all know what time it is. The 2021 French Open officially underway. What does that mean for us here over the next two weeks at Cracked Rackets? It means mini break podcast for all of you listeners, day in, day out, weekends included. We want to ensure you listeners, you tennis fans, have all of the information you need to thoroughly enjoy two of the best eight weeks on the professional tennis calendar. Now, of course, joining me on this podcast will be our usual slew of Cracked Rackets contributors, Jamie McDonald, Matt Stakowicz. Certainly going to be joining me on this podcast. We'll see if we can drag Max Rothman out of retirement. But of course, we also have a wide variety of guests we want to bring on this show as well to provide you all with a variety of opinions, variety of perspectives. So again, you all can have all the information you need to enjoy the next two weeks of action. We are also going to be doing GSP Ace of the Day segments, offering my picks of my favorite matches, and I suppose the matches we think are the most profitable for all of us tennis fans moving forward as well. You're going to be able to find those day in, day out on the Great Shot podcast feed. You'll also be able to watch them on video on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Now, in terms of the scheduling, today's pod is on the later side. We're going to be shooting for that 7 p.m., 8 p.m. hour to ensure all of you listeners have enough time to hear these podcasts, recap the previous day, preview the next day's action as well. So be on the lookout for these pods again each and every evening following all of the day's action including in Paris. But on today's show, we have one of my favorite guests, and you just heard him recently if you listen to our Great Shot Podcast Top Men's Contenders Preview Pod. He's a host of the Monday Match Analysis, host of Three, the Tennis Podcast, a returning guest here, my eyebrowed nemesis, Gil Gross, joining me to recap an action-packed day one that saw number four seed Dominic Team knocked off, saw a couple of other top seeds battling to the distance in their matches. And then, of course, we talk about some of the off-court news on the end, the continuing of, I suppose it's a saga now, the Naomi Osaka saga. We talk about it all on today's podcast, and I want to get to that show immediately. Of course, the reason we're able to do these day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Cracked Rackets Patreon family, and of course, our friends at Midwest Sports. Now again, they're now known as Tennis Point, and I will have updated copy, updated promo codes for all of you moving forward, but for now, go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, the best equipment at the best prices can be found with our friends at Midwest Sports slash Tennis Point. You can let them know we sent you there as well by using that promo code. So MidwestSports.com, the promo code is CR15. But without further ado, let's recap day one of the 2021 French Open with my friend, Gil Gross.
joining us on the podcast once again today, host of Monday Match Analysis, host of Three, the Tennis Podcast, a fellow Tennis Channel Podcast Network podcaster, and of course, a man they don't pay to make those decisions. It's my friend, Gil Gross. Gil, welcome <laughs> back to the show. Yes, I've been scrolling through your Twitter feed today. I know you were locked in. You enjoy day one of this French Open? Uh, yes, I did. Thanks, Grosky. How did I do on the uh, Twitter machine uh, today? I thought I'll give it a 91%. There is not enough spice. I was just looking for a little more spice, but you get in the A range because the picture of Mute sitting spread leg. Which, <laughs> wow, that was a beautiful tweet, my friend. But other Thank than that, you. I Thank assume you. you enjoyed the tennis viewing. Yeah, it was a, it was a good day. Um, I lost track of time. Like I, <laughs> when it was late in Paris, I'm like, oh, it's very late. And yeah. then I look at the clock, it's 3 p.m. Yeah, and not that, late. That's half the fun. I feel like it was a humble brag when you're like, I cooked lunch today. I was like, damn, he cooked lunch. What was the spread? Uh, I was I was frying up like some chicken to put in between <laughs> bread. That's my go-to. That's my oh, go-to. That sounds delicious. What did I eat Missed for lunch? The- <laughs> no, what you miss? You miss like half well, the Zero match, right? Right, because he just decides to what? Lose like two sets in <laughs> an hour? Yeah, oh my god. That's half the fun of the AZ experience. No, I think today was a cliff bar day for me during the day. I can't eat like heavily before 3 p.m. Otherwise, it's nap time here at Crack Rackets headquarters. That's just a fun fact for all of our listeners, I suppose, at home. I will say, and I know she's gonna hear this, she won't be embarrassed because I think she considers anyone I podcast with a surrogate son, but she's like, Oh, that Gillen Gross must be so handsome. And of course, I'm referring to my mother, who uh is a big fan of your joining the podcast once again. She's like, You need to bring Gil on more often, Alex. And I was like, I will. Let's go. I, yeah, I will. I will. So you got the Laura Gruskin stamp of approval, if that helps at all. That helps a ton. <laughs> I feel great. I feel great. I just can't tell her where she can find Monday Match Analysis. Otherwise, I'll lose our biggest listener. So I'm like, no, no, no. He doesn't host any shows. It's weird. Uh, but of course, again, it is great to have you back on the show to break down day one. What we are going to be doing, a quick note for all of our listeners, as we always do here on these Grand Slam podcasts, we have a couple of match breakdowns. We're going to deep dive into all of them, get into the stats, the specifics. We'll then run through the upsets on the day. There weren't that many upsets on day one. I feel like only... You know, the fact that only five seeds were knocked out, four men, one woman, that is on the lower side in terms of day ones of a slam. But of course, the French Open first round spread out across three days. So I'm sure that number will continue to increase as this first round progresses. We'll then talk about the matches that went the distance, talk about the other notable results, and then preview day two. But of course, the place we have to start, a player whom at the beginning, of the 2021 season, not two weeks ago, not even a week ago or three days ago, whenever we did our top contenders podcast, but a guy who normally you'd circle as someone who perhaps could win the French Open someday, a guy who has made a couple of finals at this event already in his career and the number four seed at this year's event, Dominic Team knocked out in round one, Gil. He drops a five-set result to Pablo Andahar. Now, the most notable thing about this match, Team was up two sets to love in this match. And if memory serves me correct and the stats serve me correct, he had never lost a match when being in that position before. Now today against Andahar, Andahar just wore him down and in the end delivers a 4-6-5-7-6-3-6-4-6-4 victory. The match of his career, believe it's his first win over an actual 
active top five player. Of course, some of you may remember the fact that he knocked off Roger Federer earlier this season on the clay. So certainly he's a guy who had some confidence. Certainly he's a guy whose best results have come on clay in the past. We'll get into that momentarily. But Gil, I know you did a Monday match analysis on this match specifically. Let's get into it. Your thoughts on Andahar's performance today. Did this result have more to do with him or more to do with Dominic T? Well, Andahar was rock solid and his attitude was like 10 out of 10. It's the (laughs) kind of thing that you take for granted. But this match was physical the entire time, as you alluded to, four and a half hours. But when Andahar was down a break in the first set, down a break in the second set, he still played like every single point mattered. And that paid dividends at the end because he did he did get to teams energy reserves. He did drag it out to a point where teams focus and his his stamina was being tested. And that was a product of how solid Andahar was and how consistent he was mentally throughout, even when he was looking not never down and out, but when he was being solidly outplayed by Dominic team in the early goings. Yeah. And look for Pablo Andahar, 35 years old out of Spain, career record of 150 and 218 at the ATP level. Now, 38 and 95 on hard courts. That's Nishki. Not very good. That's a 29% win percentage. He is 110 and 108 when it comes to clay courts. And that doesn't sound great, but when compared to the other surfaces, speaks to the fact that this is clearly the surface where he competes best. And, you know, he had the semifinal in Geneva in the lead up to this event. It wasn't just the win over Federer. Honestly, Dom Stricker is coming, folks. And that was a really good three set win over him in the quarterfinals. He also beat Jordan Thompson. Now, the thing that was so surprising is, you know, I, I, looking up Pablo Andohar, his record at the Grand Slams, how many times has he made even the second round of a Grand Slam? It's not very frequently in his career. You look for him. He's 3-11 and 11 in his career in Grand Slam second round. So this is only the 15th Grand Slam second round for him. And let's see, uh, I believe it's now 37 Grand Slam. So again, that's like a third of the time. That's not great. But to your point, he came out firing in this match from the start and even though Dominic team took those first two sets six four seven five team was up a break in that second set and it honestly looked like he might cruise from there but Andohar scraps that break back and I gotta give a shout out to the Roland Garros website uh which we agreed we're calling it Roland Garros because we're fancy we're not calling it the French Open anymore it's drop that name uh the thing that was so impressive how much better he was in team in the rallies that extended beyond four shots. You look at the number, Mm -hmm. Dominic team won 101 points of the zero to four shot rallies, Andohar only 90, but you do at you know, the rallies that extended beyond five shots, Andohar was at 82, team was at 76. Again, in a match with margins this, this thin, that made the difference. It just felt like Dominic Team's shot tolerance, his fitness level, which had been the staple of his career. They weren't there today, Gil. Yeah, no, they, they absolutely weren't. And that was a, a, a theme really from start to finish. Team got up two sets to love by winning a very large majority of the short points. Uh, so that evened up. But Anduhar, you're right, had had the edge in the lengthy rallies throughout. I think a big part of that, Alex, is uh, the fact that When team was hitting backhands, he was just kind of getting himself into trouble. Uh, He wasn't getting out of trouble uh, when he was forced into the backhand corner and defensive positions. And he just wasn't doing anything on that side. He was slicing a lot. His slice kind of floats. Andahar can step around and hit a forehand. And um, 
when when it comes to stability and consistency, if these two players are going to trade backhand to backhand, give me Andujar. The reason <laughs> team like team at his best needs to rip a backhand down the line. Like he can't, he's not going to solidly trade cross court with someone for seven shots, but he just didn't have the confidence to pull the trigger. And therefore andahar has got a great two-hander. Like it's not going to yeah. break down. Mm -hmm. No, what's so surprising is the superficial numbers from this match would indicate like Dominic team was right there and he was probably in control the majority of the time you compare the two, you know, teams plus five in the winner to unforced error ratio. He had 66 winners to 61 unforced errors. That's a big number. But again, if you're hitting 66 winners, you can afford to hit 61 or I guess he couldn't, but you can come a little bit closer to hitting 61 unforced errors. Meanwhile, for Andahar, 46 winners against 46 seven unforced errors, which again is a healthy number. Now you look at the serving numbers, team was at 63% for his first serve. Andahar was at 62%. Team won 72% of his first serve points to Andahar 64. That speaks to the fact when team was able to get into his plus one pattern, he had plenty of success. But the big number that jumps out to you, 20 of 58, Dominic team was on second serve points, a 34% conversion rate. Andahar 34 of 70. The grind just, the grind's not the right word. Well, it is the right word. The grind wasn't there. When he got behind in points, it was so difficult for him to dig himself back. And, you know, my coach used to have this thing. And some of the things you look back now that I'm, you know, 25 years old, that like your coach told you when you're 12, 13, 14 years old, you're like, man, you were really full of shit. Like, and you completely <laughs> made that up as you go. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff that he was great about. And I, you know, I shout out to Joe Brennan for probably putting me here where I am today. I can give you the story of the time we barbecued at his boat post. He brought out all the people who were coaching his camp. And that was the first time I think I held an open mic. And I was like, oh, man, I can really make people laugh. But anyways, that's a story for another time. It just felt like you know, he, my coach used to say cross-court mentality. He used to call it 12 and two. When you're going cross-court with someone, you're taking two steps. The moment you go down the line, if it doesn't work, you're on the run. You're taking 12 steps. You're doing all these different things. You're just in the defensive position. It felt like team kept bailing out, to your point, of those cross-court rallies, pulling the trigger down the line too soon. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I agree. On the forehand, I noticed that a couple times. Especially and on the forehand. Yes. Yep. Uh, there were so much. So to answer your original question, when you asked me, you know, yeah. was it more of an Andahar playing great or team collapsing? Yeah, it's on team's racket. It's going to be the man's mm -hmm. been in the French open final twice. Like it's, it's going to be on team's racket. And it was, and I think that's a, an astute observation. There were so many mistakes. You can make a laundry list of, of the team tactical uh if they weren't mistakes it's just things that didn't work out for him as well as they would if he were right and one of them on the second serve points is that he he just wasn't mixing it up Anduhar was sitting on his backhand and taking that Dominic team kick serve on the rise and it's a good kick serve but if you know where it's going and you're going to sit there and wait for it and Anduar is just, you know, again, he's got a good two-hander. I want to give a lot of credit to that. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he was just smoking it. And then team was opening up with the backhand instead of a forehand on almost every second serve point. The, the return strategy for team was bizarre. I don't know why he keeps moving up on the baseline and blocking it because it doesn't work for him. Uh, and like, it's just better if he stays back and takes a rip. So there's so many things that that contributed to this and it ended up being a close match, but that's why 
Andujar pulls off the upset here. No, absolutely. And to give Andujar the credit, because we've talked a lot about Dominic team going wrong, and I want to get back to that in a moment to just talk about where he goes from here. But you're absolutely right about the Andujar backhand. It's rock solid. His ability to absorb, redirect pace on that side. He was just beating team to the spot all match long. And, you know, I think part of the reason team felt pressured to take two, three, four, five, even sometimes six steps forward on the return. I like how I went from two to six there. I just, in case you guys didn't know, <laughs> two, three, four, and five come between six, but it was because I, Anderhar took that ball early on the rise and was just like, you're going to give me 30 feet of space. I'm going to go to that 30 feet of space. And the Dominic team that we usually see at the French open, if you go to that 30 feet of space without Without pace, space, pace, hey, great shot. You know what my old coach, again, this is a Joe Brennanism, says it's got to rhyme, rhyme every time, Alex. It's got to rhyme every time. So that's where some, <laughs> again, these habits were built up. And he always used to always say listen, not listen, because he'd say, why is the what? T there? It was just, again, I'm oh weird. And now you know why. By the why. way, the, the down the line thing I didn't get to comment on, that's very yeah. un-American of him. Very un-American. <laughs> Just pull the trigger, Grusky. Come on. 100%. But, I mean, again, just Andahar's ability to beat him to the spot, team didn't have the answers. And, you know, a credit to Pablo Andahar, who, again, in this match goes 25 of 31 at the net. He was that good. He was taking advantage of what team was giving him. And sometimes that's enough. And again, we talked about it for Andahar was 0-11 against top five opponents coming into this one. Now 1-11. He gets into uh, the second round of a slam for the 15th time. He's only advanced past that stage three times. Although you look for Andahar now in the draw, things certainly open up in his section as he, you know, going to be the beneficiary of upsetting the number four seed. There's no reason he can't beat her Del Bonus or an Elbot in round number two. The question is, where will there be a letdown? Although helps to have two days off in between a match like this. But again, Andujar did all of the little things well in this match. And that's what you have to do to knock off a top four seed. Now the flip side, again, this was not Dominic Team's best day at the office. The struggles for team continue. And we talked about it when we were talking about our top contenders. I know, you know, both of us were, he wasn't exactly in our top five list, but we were keeping an eye on him. But you look for Dominic Team now, he's nine and eight this season. He's lost his last three matches, four out of his last five outside of the semifinals in Madrid. He really hasn't done anything notable this season. Where does he go from here? What's the next move if you're Dominic Team? He, uh, you know, it's like a, it's kind of like a waiting game. You don't know how long it's going to take. And I remember saying back when team decided that he was going to withdraw from Miami, um, just saying, well, the question is, will he get right in time for the French? And he just didn't. And when I say get right, I'm really talking about the mental, his competitive fire, the motivation that just seemed to kind of leave him after winning the U S open. Uh, I thought it was fatigue at first when he wasn't playing his best and he lost to Schwartzman at the French. I just thought he was exhausted and it would get better right away. And it just didn't. So I think I saw some positive signs just going off his body language in this match. Uh, some, it should look like he's getting annoyed. It, it should, he needs to, he needs to get sick of losing. Mm-hmm. And he needs to get angry about it. If you look at how he reacted to losing to Zverev in Madrid, um, he did not seem to take that very hard. It was, I mean, he basically smiled there and it, he was in a semifinal and he didn't have a chance. He had blisters on his hand. I get all of that. But I think Dominic team needs to get to a point where he's 
gets tired of losing and he really looks to flip the switch and he raises his intensity and starts to also, you know, enjoy the the competition again. I'm really confident that this is not going to be a super long-term thing and he's going to find himself. Absolutely. And, you know, again, those first two sets, the ball was exploding off of his racket. That looked like Dominic team clay court tennis. And, you know, I read an article because I think he used to train with a guy named Gunther Bresnik and like they didn't do traditional weightlifting. They'd go into the forest and like just lift logs and go on these like five mile hikes for like two weeks straight. Honest to God, he could use one of that. He could use, you know, just one of those. I'm going to disappear, get away from anything, get back to being Dominic team because Fun fact for you, Gil. When was the last time Dominic Team lost first round of the French Open? Um, uh, he he does have some first round losses, but but never when? at the French never Open. Never at the before. French. Never this is the, the very first time this has happened. And look, it dates back 2011. He was a finalist against Bjorn Fortangelo and, and the juniors. And this has always been his surface, his go-to event. Even when he was a younger player, he would always have success when he comes to the French. If anything's going to piss him off, it's going to be this result. I, I could not agree with you more. And I think he did look frustrated. Angry, I agree. Which I is agree. like a, which is a good thing. Yeah, totally. I, I think that I think he did go home with a or you know leave the court with a very sour taste in his mouth. And I think that he, he showed some spark in this match. I know that sounds crazy. Yes. He lost for him up two sets to love, but it, it was a bit more competitive there, especially in the fifth set than he's been, but he also just didn't look fit. He, he didn't have it. He, he was too tired. There were too many tactical things that were just totally out of whack for him that it, it wasn't going to be saved. But I do think that, you know, you got to hope that probably by the U.S. Open, he's uh, he's in a good place because Wimbledon, it's still going to be very difficult for him, I think. How wonderful would it be if he just comes out and wins Wimbledon? Like, I feel like that's the pivot <laughs> I don't we think deserve. That's, yeah, that would be really amazing, wouldn't it? Uh, I don't, that <laughs> yeah. would be a shocker. No, to say the least. The, the return is the one thing that's always just good on clay. And sometimes an issue on other surfaces, but always good on clay. And now it's been an issue here on, on his favorite surface. So uh, when he goes to Wimbledon, that's the challenge for him always is just returning the serve well. And uh, it's going to be, I think, difficult. Again, the prescription from the great child or from the mini break podcast, two weeks lifting logs with Bresnik in the forest, just escape mm -hmm. from everyone, go do what you got to do to be Dominic team. But again, credit to Pablo Andujar, fantastic performance from him. Team did lose this match as much as Andujar won it, but that's not to take away anything from Andujar, who again, gets back into uh, the second round. And, and great story. Like, shout yes. out to Andahar for not retiring. That was because... one of my favorite tweets. Give the story to everyone, please. <laughs> Pablo Andahar was outside the top 1,800 with triple elbow surgery mm -hmm. at 32 years old. That means you should retire. Like, yeah. if that, that means give up, basically. And Andahar did not take no for an answer and came back. It's three years removed from that, and he's picking up career best victories at age 35. It's awesome. 100%. And by the way, I told Gil before we started this podcast, the over-under was 52 minutes. Anyone who's listening right now, tweet at Gil Gross at Great Shot Pod. 
Gil narrowed the gap in terms of the followers. I'm not happy about it, but we both went up a healthy amount. So I suppose there is some solace in that fact. But if you're listening right now, tweet at us. I guess you looked at the minute mark if you think we're going to go over or not. But let us know if you think we're going to hit the over or the under <laughs> on that 52 minute mark. Just hit pause, close your eyes at the timestamp and be like, you guys are going over. Let's be honest here. But with that in mind, again, we're not going to spend 20 minutes on all of these match breakdowns. That was certainly the most notable upset of the day. The next breakdown, you know, again, I'm, I'm, I want to incorporate women's and men's matches here. We're going to do three men's, two, uh, two women's breakdowns today. But of course, depending on the day, that number will vary. I want to go next to Victoria Azarenka, who played a really fun match. You know, shout out to 2008, which is when this match could have happened. But Vika today, three set victory over Svetlana Kuznetsova, 6-4, 2-6, This was a funky one, Gil for the number 16, uh, 15 seed Vika Azarenka, who, like, again, the Andahars of the world, the Vikas of the world, all of these over 30 players, whatever Kool-Aid they're drinking, can we sign us up? Because she just looks comfortable on the clay. She moved so well today, was playing defense against Svetlana Kuznetsova. It felt like she was always the one on her back foot, and yet she's able to get the three set victories. You look across the board in terms of the five shot or more rallies. Vika wins 52 of them to Kuznetsova's 43. Now, when Kuznetsova was able to play plus one, she won 41% of uh, 41 points to Vika's 36 in terms of the zero to four shot rallies. But again, I, I really enjoyed the way Vika mixed up her pace. I really enjoyed the way she was elevating the ball over the net. And just, this is a dangerous Victoria Azarenka who, you know, last year was not the best uh, French Open for her. She came in with so much momentum as well, coming off of that U.S. Open run, quarterfinals in Rome. I think she just kind of ran out of steam once we hit Roland Garros, just the way the scheduling was. But, you know, you look at her now, this three-set win, her match versus Tossin in the second round might be the match of the second round. Talk about a generational battle, but your thoughts on Vika's performance today. Yeah, it was impressive. She she did play very within herself. Kuznetsova was ripping backhands down the line, and Azarenka was doing such a good job recovering to her right, hitting her forehand on the run. Um, she, she served well, and she just had a little bit more margin in her game. Also though, I mean, you know, and this is going to be a common theme with Vika, um, certainly attacks the short ball really, really well returned aggressively. Uh, so, I mean, Hey, she's made a semi here. (laughs) No, I mean, the best part for both of these players, they both won over 50% of their return points, right? Like that's the thing that's always so funny to me. And like the second serve numbers are not pretty. It's like me versus you out there. Uh, You know, Kuznetsova (laughs) was 10 of 27, 37% win percentage. Vika, 9 of 26, 35% win percentage. The, you know, it's funny. I was, I was at the NCAA tournament. I don't know if that's a humble brag. I think a lot of people are aware of that. And this was something I monitored as well. It's just like, oh, so it's it's not just a professional. Like second serves, that's the difference. When you're winning second serve points, you're having success. And neither of these players were doing that. And that Vika was able to scrap out some early holds at the beginning of the third set because Kuznetsova made a push at the end. She started taking that ball early. And again, when Kuznetsova can get a clean look at that backhand, get a clean look at her forehand as well, which still just explodes off the racket. God help all of us if we can all be like Svetlana Kuznetsova, who's what I want to say uh, – at this point, I don't want to be wrong, so I'm going to look this up to make sure I am correct. Svetlana Kuznetsova, 36 uh, come June. Like, again, 
it's a joke how good these players still are at this point. Svetlana Kuznetsov is a former French Open champion. We know how good she can be on the surface. Her ball just so dynamic. And you kind of mentioned it, the margin Vika played with. Like, I don't think I've ever seen her go to gear number like two or three. And in this one, she did. She shifted the car. She was like, I'm throwing not moon balls, but just depth at Kuznetsov. Mm -hmm. And I'm keeping her in the outer thirds. And I'm just not letting her play first strike tennis because if I do, I'm in a whole lot of trouble. And you look at the numbers in this match, 19 winners for Vika against 34 unforced errors. Doesn't sound great, but when compared to the 26-41 spread of Kuznetsov, they're both minus 15. But, you know, Vika knew the error was coming. All she had to do is keep Kuznetsova in the outer thirds. And then to your point, when she was able to have those opportunities to play first strike, to get to the net, to hit that approach shot, she did it successfully. I just, I mean, again, you look at Vika's portion of the draw now and she's got Tossin next and, you know, Elsa, it gets, it gets tricky for her certainly after that. But, you know, I, I do wonder, first of all, that Tossin match again, Tossin's going to have her on her back foot. So she's going to need to very much do what she did here today. Then, you know, the winner of that gets the winner of Fernandez keys as rank is going to have to play really good tennis. In my opinion, if she wants to get to that fourth round to that second week, did you see that from her today? Was the tennis good enough or do you need a little bit more of her on her front foot? Um, I don't know if this is, it, it's it's tough. I mean, it's gonna mm-hmm. it's gonna be an uphill battle for her. I'm glad that she did get through this this match with Kuznetsova because she's had pretty bad draw luck, and she she played Pagula first round Aussie Open, and yeah. uh, that's not ideal. Just someone whose ranking d- did not reflect how good she was. Um, but at the same time, experience in a in a slam, we know how much that can help, and. Azarenka's not no moment's going to be too big for her. So as she starts to get into the latter stages, uh, you know, I, I do think that she can find a find a rhythm and find some confidence. She's going to be dangerous. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Uh, this is to me, these first two matches are the dangerous ones. I agree with you because these two players had the firepower to force her to play defense. That's why this was a match breakdown because it was notable that she was able to flash those defensive skills. I also thought she moved so much better than she used to move on the clay. Like she's sliding around. She's, as you mentioned, hitting that forehand with margin, going to her right comfortably. That's not the Vika Azarenka we've come to know and love. And I, again, I, I just love the pivot from all of these players late in their career. Who says an old dog can't learn new tricks? All of these plus 30 players uh, seem to be doing so. And that's why the quality of tennis, in my opinion, gets better and better. Quickly on the Kuznetsova side. You know, there's always pushes. Should someone retire? Should they not? Svetlana Kuznetsova ranked number 40 in the world. With that forehand, with her serve, with her, dare I say, just it attitude, where she's like, you know what? I'm going big now. Like, it's it's just time for me. It's time for Svetlana to hit big. Uh, that's not what she sounds like. That's what I just imagine anyone who can hit that big sounds like. But I thought she was great today. Like, I, I really did. She kept Vika on her back foot. I'm still enjoying the hell out of watching her. Like I'm never upset to watch a Kuznetsova match because 
She she has that explosiveness. Uh, she has that wow factor that she's going to hit a handful of shots. Really, no, I don't have to say every match. I can say every couple of games that are going to be really, really fun and something to behold. She hit a couple of um, open stance, backhand down the line winners in this match. And it's just, that's the kind of shot that you don't see on either tour often, unless you're talking about Novak Djokovic. And that's awesome. So as long as she's, as long as she's coming up with and and showing off her athleticism and her skills on a regular basis, I want to keep seeing her around. 100% agree with you. But again, Vika Azarenka, 6-4-2-6-6-3. She advances to the second round. With that in mind, let's get to our next breakdown. Let's talk about uh, someone we referred to a little bit earlier, Alex Zverev, who, again, you can endorse... I mean, you can talk about the player without endorsing the person. And he had another minor controversy today when he was like, oh, you heard Naomi just find me for everything. I'm late because he shows up late to the court, speaks to his character again. You didn't need to learn about Alia to realize Alex Vierov's an asshole. Uh, but certainly, I suppose that's another manifestation of that character trait once again. But look, at the same time, and there's nothing I enjoy doing more, more than quoting my own tweets, you can also acknowledge, and this is something we talked about in our Top Contenders podcast, Zverev, Jez Green, that team, they have him peaking in the best of five set format. And just physically, even though he lost those first two sets, 6-3, to Oscar Ota today and played about as tentatively as you can play the first two sets of a match, it just felt like the dam was going to break at some point. You look in those first two sets in particular for uh, Oscar Oda, he fought off, I think, both break points he faced in set number one. In set number two, he fought off two of the three, but it just felt like the break was coming for Zero, that he kept getting into Oda's games further and further. And, I mean, the scoreline reflects the fact that once he got that break, once he solved the rhythm, you could just kind of tell Oscar was like, oh, like, damn it, like, there goes my window. And it was a 3-6-3-6-6-2-6-2-6 love victory for Alex Zverev. Again, it just felt like physically he broke Oda, that it was all that grinding through the first two hour, hour and a half hour of this match, however long those first two sets were, were to set up sets three, four, and five, and they he set them up successfully. Yes, uh, Oscar Oda did not have as much left as, as Zverev did in the fifth, not even close. It also shouldn't have gone five. It, <laughs> ju it just shouldn't have. I mean, it was, uh, look, I credit to Oscar Oda for taking basically a, a very passive version of Zverev who just wanted to run around seven feet behind the baseline. Um, and basically he, you know, Oscar hit approach shots and came in and made great volleys. Mm -hmm. So that's difficult to do. I don't care if, you, you have the most passive version of Zverev in the world. He's still a really good mover, a great counter puncher. He's going to make you work. He's going to make balls, but it's still half his game. And as soon as he decided to unlock the other half, which I just don't, I don't understand how he always does this um, or, or why it takes him a while. Sometimes as soon as he unlocks the other half, he is just the better player in this matchup, uh, and he he cruised. I, it was it was a weird, puzzling match to me because it really looked like um, 
it, it looked like it should have been the last three sets the whole time, but something, something flipped. Mm-hmm. No, I, I completely agree with you. And the number to point to, and again, shout out to the Roland Garros website for having the Infosys stats available. Otis yes. plus seven in zero to four shot rallies through the first two sets. Now the final number, Zverev has 77.0 to four shots, Ota 59. So he goes, you know, minus 25 in those last three sets. That's a testament to Zverev being like, whoa, wait, wait, what am I doing here? Like, it's time for me to step up. Right. I, Oda is not good defensively. Like he's, <laughs> yeah. he's an offense guy. He's yeah. an offense guy. And Zverev was basically like, okay, how about this? You play offense. I'll play defense. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> it's like, no, like actually, uh, uh, what about let's, let's see, let's see net points. I'll let you get to your, your no, next point. well to, yeah. While you look those up, that's the problem. The oxymoron of Alex Zverev is when he's playing his best, he can take away the things you want to do and he can beat you at your own game and be like, Oh, you think your offense is good? Well, watch this backhand down the line passing shot. I'm going to hit by you <laughs> seven times in a row. And like, that's what he was trying to do in the first set. And the amount of freaking times he tried to lob Oscar Ota through those first two sets. And it was just like overhead slap. Overhead slam, overhead slam. It was like, what are we doing here? And then it was like, oh, wait, you're right. I, yeah, for the record, I may change my Twitter profile to an offense guy because I kind of like that description just in general. Um, but you're absolutely right. He kept Ota on that back foot. He started extending rallies, three, four, five extra shots. And that was the difference. And I mean, I don't even think we need to get too far into the stats other than to say Zero did not serve well today. And that is certainly something to keep an eye on moving forward, particularly now that Dominic team is out of his section of the draw. That quarter, if if Alex Zero does not make the semifinals, let's be clear. Well, quarterfinals, because if he loses a Casper Root in the quarterfinals, depending on Root's level, I don't think that's a disappointment. That could just be a testament to Casper Root. But certainly now Zero is the clear-cut favorite to make the semifinals. And there are places on the internet where you can bet that sort of thing. He's very much moved into minus territory. The last I saw was minus 250 to make the quarterfinals. Like that's Mm. implied probability over 66%. That's two thirds, I believe. And so I just think, and again, I want you to get to your net point stat here, but the Zverev who showed up in sets three, four, five, that's a Zverev that can make the semifinals at a minimum. Yeah. So I, what happened with the net points and by the way, didn't Cas- did Casper Ruud's heart skip a couple beats today or what? I mean, <laughs> almost almost Zverev and team out in the same day. It was a so, rude awakening, dare we say. Yes, it's too easy. No CC rude puns. Matt Zanuck, there we go. No rude puns, too easy. <laughs> so he went to net seven times in the first set. Zverev did four for seven. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, he went to net eight times in the second set, okay. seven for eight. The third set... When the match turned around, Zverev went to net 13 times, nine for 13. It's pretty, you know, that's that's a pretty significant jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in four and five, it kind of goes back to his sets one and But that's two. also because Ota went away. Yes, exactly. And, and there were just less points. So I'm looking at a total of net points when the sets aren't close. You play less total points. So yeah, no, a hundred percent. I I would agree. It's just, it's very, very tough. I mean, it's, it's tough. a court position thing, you know? Yeah. Also, it's not just a like sh- intention of, of shot selection, but like when Zverev is just, you know, when you hit a good shot, move up in the court because you're probably going to get a short ball on the next ball that you can go attack. And Zverev will get into a mode where he'll hit a good shot and he'll, he just won't react 
he'll just, he'll sit back and it's like, no, you hit a good shot, act like it. Uh, and then there will be times where he has a, a ball to attack and he just passes, you know, he, he doesn't do it. So when he's actually taking advantage of that, uh, and he, he, he's improved his transition game when he likes to use, when he decides to use it, uh, he just becomes so much tougher to beat so much tougher. Mm-hmm. No, a hundred percent. And again, just in general, because the draw is open and I, again, nothing I like better than quoting my guest tweets as well. Five straight fourth rounds for Alex Zverev. It seems like nowadays he will always dig himself out of this match. And, you know, I mentioned it. I think he's now 15 and seven in five setters in his career. I think he's won like eight of his past nine or something as well, with the one exception being the one he probably wants back the most, the one that he was two points away from winning. What a different era it was when I would have been so excited for Zero to take that U.S. Open <laughs> final against Dominic Team a lifetime ago. Um, and again, just he escaped. That's really all that t- you talk about here, right? He escaped. The, he, the I bat, guess you, it, you always he played- never felt close to losing. Yeah, it never exactly. felt like he was going to lose though at the same time. Wasn't this a throwback? Like, wasn't this 2017's Varev? Well, no, because he loses that match. And it's just like, why? I mean, I don't disagree with you. The difference was sure. in 2017, it would have felt like, especially two all, or we let a couple of break points go in that third set. You're like, okay, he didn't convert there. I bet Ota's going to break him for 3 2. And I think it was even 30 40. Ota had a break shot 4 3 1 in that third set, but Zero gets through it and he does get that break. And then once he got the break, it was literally, you could tell, like, to use them, it was like, oh, Da Vinci. It was like, I've got it. Yeah. It's over. This match in hand and Zirov advances. Now, again, credit to Oscar Ota, who is probably in the Ben Rothenberg camp right now, being like, can't we just play two out of three sets, guys? Like, because then I got a great <laughs> upset here. Uh, but unfortunately, he's not able to do it. Any final thoughts on this one? I, I feel like he used to uh, go five sets, win, and then go five sets to the next match, lose. Yeah. And then everyone would be like, <laughs> Yo, like you're tiring yourself out. Like you, that's why you lost. Which, by the way, my last point on this match will be this: uh, nice for Zverev that he had the Sunday start. I don't think, physically speaking, I don't think this is going to play any sort of factor moving forward. Completely agree. I, just again, physically, it's not an issue for him. He can do this, and then you're absolutely right. No one is going to be happier about that Sunday start than Alex Zverev. Certainly who once again advances in straight uh, in straight sets following the two sets demise in five sets. <laughs> hey, great shot to me. But your know, next match, a player who almost didn't escape today, someone who fought off a match point and ultimately is able to advance its last year's semifinalist, Petra Kvitova. She earns a 6-7, 7-6, 6-1 win over Freet Minin. And it was so interesting because in the post-match presser, Kvitova talked about her cross-court bank backhand. That's been her staple of her career since she was 11, 12 years old. I can't say I disagree. And especially that plus one backhand, her ability to just be like, oh, you left a four. Because people want to avoid the forehand, obviously, because it's such a clear-cut weapon for her. She's so much better at that than so many other people. Uh, But you look for her, like her ability when you leave a ball high on that backhand side to just rip through the ball cross court. And even on these clay courts, despite how flat she can hit off of that wing, just drive through the court. It's special. And I mean, the numbers reflect how dominant she was today when she was able to get into her plus one pattern. She won 80% of her first serve points, 51 of 64. That's why she's a property owner in Serena Williams Country Club, a power tennis country club. And you look at the numbers, she's plus 19 in the zero to 
to four shot rallies. Hreet Minen wins 64. Kvitova wins 83. Now that it was a split 31 apiece in the five plus shot rallies is a testament to once Kvitova kind of got her bearings in this match. It was, you know, smooth sailing for her, particularly in that third set. But she was 15 of 20 at the net as well. 43 winners against 44 unforced errors, which is actually pretty darn good when you realize 28 of those 44 unforced errors came in the first set. And after that, she was, you know, a 29 to 16 ratio. Again, it's the first match of a slam. There's always going to be a little bit of nerves, some adjustment to just playing in those conditions. She found her rhythm. And I always think it's better for a higher seed to, to lose a first set like that, to face some adversity and then come back and win in this fashion than it is to just cruise into the third or fourth round when things start to get tough. I thought Kvitova looked excellent. She is the dark horse of dark horses because just for some reason we forget her peak is still as good as anyone else's. And I just do think we watch her play and you're like, oh yeah, Patrick Vito can absolutely win this tournament. She hits through the clay so easily. It's silly. So it's easily. silly. It really is. And uh, of course, you know, she she saves the match point on that, on a beautiful cross-court backhand. The backhand numbers are insane. Like, so she only hit 90 for the whole match. Uh, which is not really a lot. She hit way more forehands. She hit 10 backhand winners and forced nine errors off that side. And she hit 90 backhands. So that's 21% of her backhands were yeah. point ending backhands in favor <laughs> of her. Not done forced errors. So point ending in a good way for Petra Kvitova. That's that is unbelievable for, for when you talk about a weapon on the backhand side. Yeah, it's silly. Again, just how 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 well she uh, hits through these courts, and um, you know, again, did she serve particularly great? No, not really. Like eleven double faults, that's not going to cut it. Although I do think she started being more aggressive with her second serve because uh, credit to Freet Minen was was like, I can't be on my back foot. I have to play first strike. I have to be the aggressor. Be a little bit on the riskier side, um, but. It's just so hard to get Petra Kvitova on her back foot. And even when you do, I think, she, again, it's crazy to say this. I think she moves better on clay at age, what is she, 31, 32, however old Petra Kvitova is now, than she did when she was 24, 25, 26 years old. And it's just like, it's stupid to me how that can happen. But she looks comfortable on the surface. Yep, th- thirty-one years old, mm-hmm. and uh, I agree with you. What was more, what was the most impressive thing about this match for me, is uh, how horrifically she played in the first set tiebreak, and then how clutch she was later on in the match. Mm-hmm. Like there were no demons that there totally could have been, especially because you know she's a a pretty heavy favorite here playing against a qualifier. I mean, yes, um, yes, Greet Minen is a good clay quarter and we all know qualifiers are dangerous. They're used to the conditions. They've won some matches. They have that confidence. Uh, but this could have easily been if you, the way Kvitova lost that first set in complete implosion fashion with a really loose tie break, uh, sh- she really could have let that drag on uh, to come up with the goods and the big moments after that is huge for her. And it feels like the kind of thing where you, you get kind of a second, 
um, you're kind of playing with house money for the rest of the tournament. That's a super dangerous place for a player like Petra Kvitova, a dangerous mindset for her opponents when she has that. No, absolutely. I said that, I said that horribly, but everyone. Has <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree. And look, I mean, Kvitova's section of the draw, she's got Alina Vesanina next to 1-0 victory and her comeback. That's awesome. If you want to read more about Alina Vesanina, David Kane is literally on the Vesanina beat. And like he has covered the story from top to, to bottom. So I'll leave that to him. But, you know, her seed to get to the fourth round would be Rabakina. And like, okay, whatever. Like I, that's a very, very winnable match. And then I think after that, she would have the potential, uh, well, Kerber's knocked out. So the seed above that would be Serena Williams, number seven seed. Like Kvitova enters that match as the favorite, in my opinion. I just think the draw has opened up very nicely for her. I think another quarterfinals is very much in the books. Well, like if she plays Serena, she's the favorite in that match, right? Barring Serena coming out just guns blazing this first week. Yeah, I think she is. I think she, her her movement right now uh, just looks better than Serena. I trust her to stay in points a little bit more. And then the firepower where Serena has an edge over almost everyone on tour. Kvitova is one of the only people who can just kind of match it. Are you saying there should be a country club where they're both a member of the Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club and they're fighting for board seat supremacy in that fourth round match? Is that what you're saying? Because I'm down for that. I feel like you've thought that out already. Oh, I feel like you have this... I think the best moment in Great Shot podcast history was when Jeff Sackman made the case that, like, actually in the in the boardroom, there's this safe that is currently locked. And when you open up the safe and get the combo, because they've been looking for it for years, it's just a picture of Arena Sabalenka. And they're like, that's the key. We've solved it. And I was like, I was like, Jeff, I cannot believe you just beat me to that. And like, because I was setting them up, I was like, that's devastating that I didn't think of that myself. Uh, but no. Yeah. Well, are we okay with that? Are we okay with with Kvitova, Serena, Sabalenka? Yeah. Uh, do we want to add to the club? Do we want to subtract? I mean, there's sure there's 90s people like I'm sure they're like, what about Martina Hingis? Like, oh, I didn't know we were. No, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, now I'm talking about the modern day player. Well, I agree with you. Right. Well, those are, those three are those three are current. Those are pre me and you. Exactly. We're talking current players only. I do think again. I, I hope Rabakina starts. But we'll talk about her in a little bit. Um. Yeah. I, this is my favorite metaphor. If you can't tell, I'm very invested. Someday I'll write an article on it, and it'll be a very fun one. It's in the queue of articles I have planned in the future. But certainly, again, today Petra Kvitova in her six seven seven six six one. Who and again. She was so composed in that tiebreaker, that second set tiebreaker as well. After playing, to your point, a horrible first set breaker, uh, it's a credit to her that she just keeps swinging, that nothing phases her at this point, and ultimately she advances with the three-set victory. Our final match breakdown, we're definitely hitting the over in this, I apologize, but my guy, Botic Vandesenskop, who... Born October 4th, 1995, which I only mentioned because that's two days before I was born, which is like, get my shit together, Alex, sort of moment. Like, I also, I always, my joke is always, well, you know, Patrick Mahomes is a month older than me. So I actually have a month to get everything together because he's a month older than me. So it's totally cool. It's totally normal. But, you know, for Vandesen Schulp, uh, Sculp, excuse me, I'm going to butcher that a bunch of times here. He's a guy who 
doesn't have a top 100, you know, career high. You look for him, what he's been able to accomplish thus far in his career. And he's dealt with a bunch of different injuries. So it's been really difficult for him to find an extended period of play. But, you know, he's hovering right around his career high. He reached it back in February when it was number 145. He currently enters this event, number 154. You look at what he's been able to do this season. He was a guy who uh, got into the Australian Open via qualifying and was able to play one of those warm-up events as well and has tried to play play ATP events as opposed to playing challenger events just to try and put himself in that position to accumulate some higher degrees of points here this season. You look for him, he's 31 and 17 since the tour resumed last August. You look for him in 2021, specifically 17 and nine. However, you look at him entering this uh, week's event in his career, he was two and three against top 50 opponents. Well, you know, he He's earned both of his, by the way, two victories over top 50 players this season. Gets another one here as he comes back from a two sets to love deficit to knock off 2021 Miami Open champion Hubi Hercott. 6-7-6-7-6-2-6-2-6-4. Gil, I think it takes people four seconds or two Vandasan scope forehands to be like, holy crap, this guy hits the ball hard. I think it's perfect for these clay court conditions as well because it's a big forehand backswing. But once he unloads into it, I mean, he like with all I know, Hubie was injured. And of course, Hubie's my guy. I shout out to Hubie. This is a tough loss for him. And I had, you know, dinner with his agent, Carter Lynn, uh, when I was in Orlando. Carter's my guy as well, former U of M. So we're going to prevent the Hubie slander as frequently as possible here. Um, but like again, to the question I asked you in the first match, was this a win for Vandesen Sculpt or a loss for her cats? I think it was a win for my guy BVDZ. Like he was just the better player in this match. Yeah, in coming in, you know, Hubi wasn't a massive favorite in this one. I mean, all respect to 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 Vandesen Sculpt in this one. Um, given given their recent form, I mean, Clay is by far Hercotch's least favorite surface. Um, and Bostic's the kind of guy who, who gets you and he got me like, I, I watched him on tape coming into the tournament, um, after he qualified and he's the kind of guy who at first glance, he shouldn't like clay. He shouldn't be great on clay. Um, but then you realize he's like a Matteo Berrettini, Jan Leonard Struff type, just because you are a mega offensive player who doesn't want to move much doesn't mean you can't be really good on a surface that rewards big, heavy, powerful hitting when your opponent sometimes can't get it through the court as well as you can. I mean, it, it's a it's a type of uh, the type of clay quarter. And when you know, in the same breath, for me, Hercotch, and I want to know if if you agree with this. The reason why he the, one of the biggest reasons why clay is his worst surface is because he's a pace redirector more than a pace generator. Mm -hmm. And I just think the clay doesn't give him the opportunity to make those redirections as much as the quicker surfaces do. I think she, uh, who a tennis chameleon. He will play to the level of his opponent. He will do whatever the opposite of his opponent requires for him to get the match. I agree. And I think that's the problem for Hoobie still at this point is he can do so many different things on the court, but what's plan A? And if plan A is not working, what's plan B? And too often plan B is just, well, I'm going to respond to whatever my opponent does. I'm going to react, not be proactive. And that's an issue for him moving forward. Now, the good news is, again, 
physical. We talked about it before. Physical profile, six foot six. I have a type, and it's him. Like to a T, a guy who can serve and volley, a guy who can play defense, play in the outer thirds, turn defense into offense. And it did feel like he had a thousand passing shots on his racket that just like clipped the net tape or just like a half an inch wide and just or a little bit long. And that's a credit to the pressure of undescendable put on him but look at the net numbers like 34 44 was our boy bvdz in this match to Hubie's 19 of 36 it felt like he was constantly the one moving forward being the aggressor and you know that third set was a throwaway for Hubie. he went down an early break and he was like you know what i'm not winning this one and i think like he was even surprised that he held down one five to to uh, you know get that second game in that third set and then you know, the credit to Botich, who broke him right away to start the third and then just held on to that break. And you look at the numbers, he made, you know, 60% of his first serves, but he won 73% of those points, won 64% of his second serve points. You look at the rally analysis, the longer the point went, the better things went for BBDC, who won 88 of the five plus shot rallies to Hubie's 52 or 88, excuse me, 86. That's good math there. Alex, three plus three is six, but like that's domination, Gil. That is, that's an ass whooping. Like, I'm sorry, but when Hubie was able to get into his first forehands, he kicked his ass. And like, uh, when Hubie, excuse me, when Botich was able to get into yeah. those first forehands, and it was just, it, like, Botich won this match. He's a, he's a very dangerous kind of, of qualifier. Let's, yeah. let's put it that way, because he, he will attempt to take the racket out of your hand. Who knows, maybe in the next round, um, I don't have in front of me who it would be, but he's also the kind of guy like he can throw away a couple sets and, you know, there's the match. Uh, but in this case, Herkosh didn't really have the the benefit of, of that. Um, someone who like, he, he's just got that weight behind him and that aggressive streak and that fearlessness where if you're not, if you're not, making some fantastic returns, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you could tell as this match went on, Hubie had the trainer come out to examine his elbow, but Hubie was just too frequently on his back foot. And you look for him now, he's one in four in the matches he's played since Miami, just two seconds on Hubie. Because again, I do think mm-hmm. Botich won this match. Hubie didn't lose it. But for Hubie, that's two straight five-set losses in the first round of the French Open. Last year was to Sandgren. This year to BBDZ. Where does Hubie go next? Because I have to say, going to the grass court season, in theory, like I think that's great for him. I think it should shock no one if we see him fourth round, even maybe quarterfinals, depending on how the draws break out of Wimbledon. Yeah, my my wise answer to your question is Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 he goes to Wimbledon. No, I, I, I love him. Um, I, I think he should be great on grass. Um, the backhand, especially, just I would hate to deal with that on a grass court because it's not going to bounce. Mm-hmm. It's going to just skid through the court surface on that on that slick lawn. And and he serves in volleys and he keeps his returns yeah. so compact. And it's just like. Oh, yeah. I think he, I, I agree, hand in the glove. And by the way, I think that's the first time you've sworn in like the seven podcasts we've done together. I'm, I'm so excited. I'm used to not. I'm used to not. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll I get quacked crazy. out. Yeah, it'll get quacked out. Do they quack it out? We quack them out with a nice little sound effect. So you're going to say, why is quack? 
But uh, everyone knows, everyone knows what you're saying here, Gil. I just so exposed you, can, you. So you can keep the clean on it? So, well, no. Do you want to know the real story? I mean, yeah. my old job, which I'm not going to say here because I'm not supposed to. My old job, my boss was like, I don't care that you do a tennis podcast. The one requirement, don't swear. Don't embarrass me. That was always the rule is don't embarrass me. And so I was like, okay, well, then we have to quack out. Like, I don't. Okay. The truth is, I don't give a flying fuck. Like, it does not matter to me. Uh, but I think it might matter to my, A, my mother, and B, honestly, at that point, the quacks had become a staple of the podcast. So I was just like, let's keep them. I was like, come on. Yeah, like, okay. Might as well at this point. But again, uh, our boy, and we hit the over officially, let's rock and roll, Woo. just in the match breakdowns alone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, but uh. no, ultimately, again, who uh, it is our guy BBDZ advancing to the second round of a grand slam. I do want to just look quickly uh, because I believe that is his first win at a grand slam. And I'm telling all of you, just keep your eyes on him. I know he's 25 turns 26 in October, but I do think given all of the injuries, just given what he's been through that his best tennis is ahead. And yes, that is his first main draw win at a slam. So if he cracks the top 100, because he's got the weapons, right? That, that was my mm-hmm. big takeaway. It's like, he, He's got the game to do it. Yeah. Alcaraz worked him in Australia, maybe worth yeah. noting. Not to not to get down on him. Yeah, but you know to, who else is a top 100 to sour player? sour the mood. Yeah, but you know who else is a top Carlos 100 Carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. So, like. No, I'm just. Yeah. That, that was my. That was the first time I saw him. That was my intro. Um, uh-huh. And he, uh, his third and his second, third and fourth impressions have been better. Good. Uh, that. <laughs> Good. No, I'm glad to hear that. But again, uh, it is uh, Vandefensen Sculpt advancing over our boy Hubi. Now, with that in mind, let's get into the rest of our breakdowns. I mentioned the fact we want to talk about the upsets, the people that went the distance. Not that many upsets on the day. Only four, uh, excuse me, five in terms of seeds that lost. Four on the men's side, one on the women's. We've talked about team. We've talked about Hubi. I made this joke again on Twitter. No one is happier about Dominic team's loss, perhaps, than Grigor Dimitrov, who as such has his loss buried to the D block of every show. And, you know, he had a match point. He was up, I think, 6'2", 6'4", 5'1", I want to say, on Marcos Giron, uh, Giron of UCLA fame, former NCAA singles champion, a guy who has dealt with so many injuries throughout his career. And it's impossible to feel anything but good for him after he advances now to the second round. I believe that's the third straight major he's done. So uh, ultimately, Giron able to fight back before Dimitrov has to retire with another injury, three love down in the fourth set. In terms of your other upsets, Kalnina, straight set win over Angelique Kerber. And then you know the Miomir Kasmanovich rule, Crack Rackets fans. The moment you think he's going to lose a match, he wins it. The moment you get confident in what he's going to do, he loses it. This was one, given what we saw from Dan Evans earlier in this clay court season, you think, okay, Kess doesn't have the big weapons. Evans going to be able to use his variety, be on his front foot, play the aggressive tennis. But no, 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 no. Former world junior number one, Kasmanovich, 1-6-6-3-6-3-6-4 win. Your thoughts on our three other upsets we saw on the day? Hopefully Wimbledon gets Kerber going. I don't like seeing her in this in this state. It's been a tough stretch. The clay courts aren't going to do her any favors. She's another a way more extreme version of of what I described with Hercot. She wants mm-hmm. to redirect. She doesn't want to generate again. Way more extreme version of it. Um, so hopefully the grass gets her going. 
Uh, Dimitrov, I mean, it, it stinks to see him uh, injured again. I thought this was going to be a really good match, injury or not. So credit to Marcos Giron because he he was playing with Grigor. Um, and I, I think this was going to be competitive after Giron uh, saved the, um, the match point. Shout out to uh, his interview with uh, Steve Weissman on Tennis Channel afterwards, uh, not picking up the microphone and beginning to speak just like to Steve, like without a microphone. And then Steve goes, you can also pick up the microphone, like in the nicest way anyone can possibly be like, Hey, like you missed, you forgot something. (laughs) (laughs) No. uh, Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Only Steve, only Steve could make that interaction like so soft on your own because like that was just a, I mean, he spaced. Yeah. I would do the same thing. I mean, that's a me move. But like, just <laughs> didn't, just wasn't holding the microphone. Can we talk about how long do you think Steve's had that red blazer ready to go? Like a year and a half, two yes. years? Because you know, like the second he got the call and they were like, "Hey, we're flying you back out to Paris this year," he was like, "Honey, grab the red <laughs> suit jacket, <laughs> like it's time." And like he was so he put it on and he was like in the mirror and he's like, "Steve, you look excellent today, just excellent." <laughs> and, um, <laughs> no, that's our usual Steve Weissman appreciation. No, I couldn't emphasize that more. Impossible to feel anything but good for uh, Marcos Giron. You talk about generating pace. Kalanina can do that, and she makes it look so freaking easy. Just destroys the ball. Um, and again, it was really, really fun to watch. But she's also super young. I want to say 22 years old at the oldest, maybe 23. Uh, and then what do you think about the Kess man? I don't know if we've ever talked about it. It's just like he's a guy. I think he's the litmus test player where it's like if you beat Mumir Kessmanovich, you belong in the top 40. If you can't, it means you're not consistent <laughs> enough. Like you don't have the, the enough weapons or enough discipline to be there. Yeah, I, I think that's a great assessment. He is, uh, he's one of those, he's a pro's pro mm-hmm. in the sense that he doesn't have any glaring weaknesses and he's a really good athlete. Mm-hmm. And like, if you have that base, you're going to be in the top 50. You look at like how his legs are built and uh, his movement, very balanced. So with with his base, yeah, like you're going to be in the top 50, but as you, I think you called him. Uh, the litmus test. Right, but but he doesn't have that big weapon of scary. Yeah. Dan Evans should beat him. He, yeah. he probably should. He probably should. And Evans is now, I think, just in his head with the majors, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because he's a better player than his major results have shown him to be. And it's not even close. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's lost a lot of long, heartbreaking matches. I think that's happened in best of three, too. I, I think that Dan Evans has just, he's beginning to struggle closing at the moment. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's hard when you don't have a big weapon to do that with, right? If you can't hit the 125 mile per hour first serve when things get tight to just, or I guess 135 really to just get yourself out of a scenario. That's not him. And another guy who I'll say facetiously is like, you know what? Let's go to Wimbledon. I'll be okay. You know, I'm ready for the yeah. grass course season. Like, that's fine. I'm, you know, I booked my fl- flight to Queens Club uh, six months ago. So I'm ready to rock yes. and roll. But uh, again, those were your upsets on the day in terms of the matches that went the distance. Four more on the women's side. You have Madison Keys, who I feel like hasn't gotten a win in quite a healthy amount of time at a Grand Slam. Now, that may not be true, but again, that's an unofficial, what do you call them, the DB4 stats on the Monday match analysis? That's just a DB as in... <laughs> 
at via Alex Gruskin. Um, but he gets a or he, excuse me, she gets a huge, uh, huge win. I just think a good win uh, over uh, Osian Doden to close out the night. You also get three set wins from Sasnovich, Sinyakova over Buzkova, which was a very sneakily fun match. And then Danielle Collins, who again had a bunch of health issues. She's talked about them publicly. She's finally feeling healthy. She gets a good win, I believe. She got the win over Lefty uh, because there's Lefty and the variety. There's Wang Chung and and uh, I forget. There are two very young, talented Chinese players. One's a Lefty, one's a Righty. Uh, I know that Ben and Courtney, Ben Rothenberg, Courtney win. Not a name drop at all, but you know they they call them Lefty and Righty to help. Uh, differentiate it's Shin Yu and Shi Yu Wing. That's the two different. So it's lefty righty. Um, she gets three set win over the lefty and then Nishi Corey five set win over GNSC six, four, six, seven, six, three, four, six, six, four. Your thoughts on the match that went the distance again. I, I feel like it was a relatively tame day on the grounds of Roland Garros. I agree. Right. Um, good to see Nishi Corey survive because that's what he does best. He- yeah, he's he's starting to build some momentum. I feel like, especially at the French, like every match just goes five sets. Um, <laughs> I can tell I, you exactly where I was. He beat was it Demon Hour five sets of twenty twenty French Open. He beat someone where it was like exact same deal last year. I'll look it up as you're talking about. Okay. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I mean it's fine. I I went to Paris in twenty nineteen, and it was a little bit late. I think it was third round or maybe fourth, I think it was third though. Not much going on on the grounds. Um, the, most of the stuff was on show courts, but I was able to see Nishikori in the bull ring right before they knocked it down. And he was going five sets with Laszlo Jera, who also had a great win today in a highly entertaining match against Quarantine Mute. Uh, Mute acted like he was ready to quit tennis after the match. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess that's, that's noticeable uh, or notable. Uh, but great win for Collins. I thought she was very impressive. And with with her fighting spirit, how she how tough she is, um, she she can do some damage maybe here as a dark horse. Absolutely. Five sets over Dan Evans, by the way. Um, mm. So so again, Dan Evans well, is go. like, yeah, he's like, I'm done with this. Shit. He's like, get me out of here, please, <laughs> for the love of God. But no, I, I would agree with all of your assessments. And again, you talk about pace generators. You can't spell pace generation without D-I-N-I-E-L-L-E-C-O-L-L-I-N-S. Um, yeah, she, if healthy, can just beat anyone on her best days. That's how high that upside is. But those were the matches that went the distance. Again, there were a ton of other results. We're not going to break them all down. I do want to talk about all of the other seeds and just get your reactions in general. Let's start on the women's side. Straight set wins for Osaka, Sabalenka, Rabakina, Kudermatova, Pavlochenkova, and Paula Bedosa Shaber. Uh, let's start just with those women's seeds. Any of them per- uh, particularly impress you or stand out for any reason? Hot streak continues for Kudamatova over former semifinalist Amanda Nismova. That was a bad draw for her. You were wondering, oh, is, is, is she going to get jabbed here? And she gets through. So that's the result out of out of that slate that really sticks out more than anything. No, 100%. And I thought that Sabalenka-Konya match had the chance for fireworks, but arena's locked in and i'm a little scared by how many predictions i've seen myself include i think i predicted her to win the tournament just because jamie kind of baited me into it because we, we were like Dude, i just didn't want to pick the same person as him and it was like a bardish fiantech and i was like you know what no just give me sabalenka like i'm in on sabs um 
And again, I've, I feel like I've, me and Jeff Sackman have spearheaded that bandwagon for so long. Got to stick with it here. Uh, never let the facts get in the way of a good take, Gil, as you know. Right. Today he tweeted, and I just memorized, this was one of the better tweets of the day, in my opinion. He goes like, smart move by the FFT scheduling matches while we wait for Sabalanka to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, again. That's a whenever a bandwagon includes myself and Jeff Sackman, I feel like you either really want to be on it or you want to avoid it at all costs. <laughs> and like, it's no, there's no in between. That's Sabalenka. Um, yeah, exactly. That's Sabalenka. If Rabakina's Osaka. Yeah. So I was going to say, if Rabakina's hot, look out. Bedosa did what she was supposed to do. Give me two seconds on Osaka because I didn't get to watch that match close. And we'll talk about the off court stuff at the end, but on court, sure. she delivered the goods today. Uh, the first serve was just always there. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it was like there were there were rocky things happening in the match. There were bouts of errors, and Teague was, you know, holding serve easily sometimes. But Osaka just always had the first serve the entire time. It's a good sign for her, especially on clay, where she doesn't always get as much out of that serve. In this match, she did. I thought Teague was, was tactically really, really good here just giving Osaka tons of cross-court backhand slices. No yeah. pace to the Osaka backhand. It was a huge problem for Naomi. But she kept her poise. And you know what? With everything going on around Osaka, to just come away with the straight sets win is just, it's its not to be taken for granted. Mm -hmm. No, we had this conversation in our women's draw preview. She's either losing third round to Bredosa or she's winning the thing. Like, there is no in-between. That's Naomi Osaka in a nutshell. That's the sort of competitor she is as well. You just, you can't let her get hot and have her that give her that belief entering week two or you're just not going to beat her. Uh, but that was an excellent result as well. In terms of the others on the women's side, Tossin's a stud, straight set victory. We talk about it. Her uh, second round match, absolute fireworks. I've already forgotten who she's supposed to play. Is it Kavitova? No, Azarenka. Azarenka. That's an absolute firework uh, round two. Leila Fernandez, two and one over Potapova. You can beat anyone two and one at a Grand Slam. You're doing something right. Her game uh, just so well suited for these clay courts. You also had a win from Garbine, 0.75. Alia Tamjanovic in straight sets. Kavinic honestly gets a win she deserves, given how well she's played here in this clay court season. Glad to see that translate to the slams. Hibino, Bogdan, Vesnina, your other victors on the day. Any final thoughts on our women's slate of results? Yeah. Okay. You, you have this look on your face that says, Alex, that was such a good point. <laughs> that was such a good point. Yeah, well all right. done, I will take it. Hey, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of silence. Um, but all right, let's switch gears now. Other men's results. Seeds on the day. Tsitsipas escapes a tricky first set against Jeremy Chardy, who, by the way, I hope everyone in their lives can just say, shit the way Jeremy Chardy does when he's like, it's time for me to rip the forehand. It's time for me to go big down the line. It's time for me to move forward. He just plays... With a, an abandonment that's just so, or a, a confidence. I don't know. It, it's somewhere in between those two where it's just like, you know what? I'm just going to do my thing. We're going to go out here. It's going to be really fun. Hour 45. I'm going to get my workout in. I'm going to eat a delicious steak dinner afterwards that I've earned by sweating this all out. Uh, but Tsitsipas, that was a good win for him. Straight sets. Your other winners, Bautista, Goot, Kareno Busta, the birthday boy, Christian Guerin. Karen Hatchnov wins his first straight set match in seemingly forever. And then Fabio Fognini. Uh, earns the victory as well. Your thoughts on the men's seeds who advance comfortably. Karen Achinov 
always does well here. Mm-hmm. And it's been just a, a tournament that's just represented consistency for him. And consistency is not always a word that you can associate with him. But he seems to be in round four every year. So once again, I mean, this is the kind of victory that that he he needs. I mean, Yuri Vesely is is no clay quarter, but <laughs> that still has my attention. Do you do you think he would spell consistency with a K just because it's like Karen Hatchinoff consistency? Um, yeah, I think he'd have to. Um, and you know, again, that's the Mad Zemek tweet right there. But no, it's a straight set win. Yeah, that was the bestly. Hey, had they played best of thirteen, he really would have flipped the script. Six one, six two, six three, six four, five seven, six seven, and then it's like my turn. But unfortunately, it's only best of five. Yeah, I agree. I thought Garen finding his rhythm too, because we talked about this, I think in the preview pod, we just haven't seen it happen. You could tell after he lost that first set, it kind of ticked him off. And he was like, wait, I'm so much better than Londero. Like, let me do my thing. He plays a ton of long matches at majors. He Mm -hmm. goes five, he goes four. Like it's never straightforward with him, uh, but he's, he's fit enough to get away with it. I also think that body type was made for play low center of gravity on Christian Garen. It's just like, it works. It works. And so that was not calling him short, by the way. I think he made his body type for clay. (laughs) Not the other way around. It's not a coincidence. Oh yeah. It's spelled with a K as well. Coincidence. Um, (laughs) But no, I agree with you. And then, you know, moving on the rest of the results, my most impressive performer of the day may have been Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, who is everything American tennis fans want Tommy Paul to be like, that's just Davidovich Fokina. It's a ball of athleticism and explosiveness and can do a little bit of everything as well. Was just on his front foot the whole time against Mikhail Kukushkin. I feel bad for Jamie McDonald because he lost to Fucevic today. If you go look at a photo, they're identical. That's a little fodder for you afterwards, uh, Gil. But, you know, Fucevic, Fucevic is making the fourth round. We just pencil, it's happening. That's just what he does. Um, and so straight set win for him. You mentioned the aforementioned Laszlo Jure win over Quarantine Mute. Laxanen win over Hanifman. I could have put that in the upset category, but Laxanen was that mm-hmm. good today. Kakao over Jirasimov. Sefillian over Taberner. Peya over Daniel Galan. And then Mackie McDonald. Shout out to the UCLA Bruins. Garone's a winner. McDonald's a winner. You know, they had a lineup where Garone and McDonald played two and three singles, and that team did not win a national championship. I've done a, a full podcast on that 2014 UCLA team, so we don't have to relitigate it here, but I, I will forever be amazed by that fact. Your thoughts on the rest of the men's results. And, and that was in the Jen Brady era too, right? When 100%. Brady was playing third. Do you want to hear win- the lineup? I, I think, I don't know, I, what's with these coaches putting the <laughs> putting the pros at third? and t- what, Were they stacking? So here's the thing. Clay, <laughs> you've opened up Pandora's box, my friend. Oh, no. Uh, no. Clay Thompson, not, not that Clay, the other one, uh, now world-class pickleball player, I think, uh, was 6'5", 6'6", was just on fire that season. And, yes, it is a stack. He could just – you could play him at one. Billy Martin couldn't get away with it. So, of course, that coach is going to do it. But – you had Giron at two, you had Mackie at three, you had informed Gage Brimer, who I would say was one of the five best American juniors of the 2010s when healthy. Uh, that's a stretch. That's not true, but was really, really good. Uh, his freshman year of college was really good always, but was particularly excellent that year before he had all of these different health issues. 
playing four. You had Carousel hitting partner for Naomi Osaka at five. And then they just couldn't figure out doubles and six singles. Like they just couldn't figure out. And a hot UCLA, uh, USC team that had Hanifman and, well, they actually lost to Oklahoma in the semifinals, but just USC kind of had their number or just, Oh, really? It was that Oklahoma. Yeah. I hear Carew's voice in my head like, dude, had we beaten Oklahoma in the semis, we were going to crush USC. <laughs> um, and so anyways, to answer your question, yes, it was a stack, but it's just great to see. I, I just think Mackey, he, it's just so easy for him. Like talk about a smooth tennis player. Oh, yeah. So smooth, so mm-hmm. smooth, just has that effortless on the rise style. Never really looks like he's running too hard, but he's moving fast. Yeah. And yeah, it's a it's a beautiful game to watch. No doubt about that. But those are your day one results. And again, the best part about this French Open, best part, worst part, I suppose it depends on your perspective, is that the first round is spread out across three days. And so that gets us to day two, our second part of this first round. Now, we're not going to preview and every match. We're not going to get into too specific, but I do want to talk about the favorite matches of the day. I think the first one that pops up to everyone, one men's, one women's, Kenan Ostapenko. Mwah. Just delightful, delightful match. Ditto, by the way, between Medvedev and Kyrgios with worst press, Sasha Bublik. That is going to be exceptional as well. Your thoughts on those matches? Anything else you're going to be watching closely? Yeah, Ken and Ostapenko just feels like there's so much on the line there yeah. for, for both of those players. Ostapenko just trying to, you know, trying to make a run. Has she been past the... So last year she beat Pliskova. Last year she beat Pliskova second round. And I think she that was that third round was the furthest she has gotten. But it just feels right. like she's on the precipice of getting back where she belongs. It feels right. like one big result at a slam could give her the confidence she needs to just go on a run because you watch her play the way obviously power tennis. She I mean, she's won a slam. So she's got like the back of the country club house that like no one talks about. They're like, who lives there? And they're like, well, we kind of sold it earlier. Yeah, it's like we sold it to this person who shows up like once every three years. And when she shows up, it's a riot. But like, we're never exactly sure what's going on back there. Um, At the same time, I'm really happy you framed it the way you did because it does feel like there's a lot on the line for both of these players. Kenan's a defending finalist here. And like, the problem is she likes to, you know, work her way into matches, variety and slices. And just like Ostapenko is like, no, 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 This, it's six shots. Like, sorry, it's shot number six. It's time for this rally to be over, win or lose. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see, like, Kenan try to disrupt that because you know she will. I expect to see a lot of drop shots also. Try to get Ostapenko to the net where she's a little bit more uncomfortable. Uh, Kenan's got to be careful, though, to to protect her serve because Ostapenko is just so aggressive on the return. Um, and obviously it's just both players are just trying to turn things around. And then on, on the men's side with, with Medvedev and Bublik, I've been sticking my neck out for Medvedev. And I, I felt like I was really early on the train of, Hey everyone, Medvedev is going to stink on clay. Like he, trust me, he will. And, but now I think everyone's just gone overboard the other way, including Daniil himself, who is just as we kind of, I forget if we talked about this or not, but just hasn't put in the effort necessary, even if regardless of whether or not he has the skills to win some of these matches on clay. Mm -hmm. No, it's, I mean, the thing is much like Ostapenko, it's funny that those two matches are eerily similar, right? It's like, but Bublik, 
Oh, it's shot number six. I'm hitting a drop shot. I'm going big down the line. Oh, I missed it. Congrats. You win this point. But watch what I'm going to do next point. I'm going to hit this tweener on the rise. Crazy, ridiculous shot. I agree with you. Like, I just think the Medvedev, the Medvedev panic on clay is over, like overblown, especially in a three out of five set format. I like him three out of five sets against anyone just because physically he's going to hold up the test and then mentally and just shot selection. He can just do a little bit of everything. And it's just like, I just think he wears Bublik down unless we get a Bublik firing on all the cylinders. And that's a Bublik that can beat anyone. Right. Now, I also think Medvedev is going to enjoy playing someone who doesn't have the movement of Martin Fushevics. <laughs> I mean, the problem with with Med on clay is just trying to hit through the court, uh, especially against a player with great speed. At least Bublik is a big hitter, uh, tall like Medvedev, moves well for his size, but he's no, you know, he's not Fushevik. So Medvedev should be able to find some more offense off the ground. Is is uh speaking of Fucevic, is he the heir apparent to the Tomas Burdich beautiful leg club? Like, because you see, I mean, Burdich, <laughs> those legs are the goats. But like Fucevic, you see those legs and you're like, oh, yeah, that's why he's that good. Uh no, I'm gonna I'm I think Fucevic is is more of a, a full body guy. Like sure. Burdich was like weirdly cut off at the waist, like yeah. normal guy. <laughs> Like skinny upper body. You know the quad machine just, where it's like you're you're kicking your legs up. To yeah, yeah. I feel like that's all Tomas Burdich did. Just every day he's like, more quads, please give me quads. Yeah, right. He's just like every day is leg day. <laughs> yeah. day. It's just, yeah. So so yeah, but like Fushevix, you know, like he's got big arms and everything. Yeah. He's no, he's on pack. a he's on total a Prakash Amritaj sort of workout scheme. Yeah, I I agree with you yes, there. Yes. Um, in terms of some other ones, just gonna rapid fire through them quickly. Benchich Podoroska, great match, right? All in on that. Yeah, hundred percent. Right. Muguruza Kostyuk, any upset alert in your mind? Just because I feel like Kostyuk's best hits through anyone. Not if Muguruza is healthy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it all just comes down to that. Well, that's what I agree with. That's why it's like, let's see how good Garbine is because this is a serious test round one. Andrescu Zadancic. Zadancic almost beat Muguruza last year early in the French Open. That's why that's on my list. It's funny because Kaya Yuvan's one of my favorite youngsters and yet she's older than Iga Sviantek, which is just like... Poof. Uh, blows my mind. That that was the yeah. blown mind sound effect for the record. That wasn't Super Producer Westoff, folks. That was me. Um, and, and then Marchit Georgie, just because... Something's going to happen in that match. I'm not sure what yet, but I just think something's going to happen in that one. Will it involve Georgie's father? Uh, let's hope not. Uh, but like, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like, you well, never know. You never freaking know. And then men's side. I feel like I've watched Pierre Uzer Bear beat Yannick Sinner in this match like 17 times in his career. Like not necessarily Sinner, but someone in Sinner's position. Thoughts on that one? plays really well in Paris. Like he turns it on the kind of player who sometimes you watch him and you're like, how is he ranked so low? (laughs) Sometimes very, very shaky off the ground, but he's going to get to the net and Sinner's not going to get that like monotonous baseline game where he's just going to get to tee off. Like he's going to have to use his footwork, his court craft, really looking forward to seeing him get pushed in that way. 100%. 100%. Do you get up at 530 for that one? Or is that like, I'll join in at seven o'clock? 
Yeah, it's probably one of that. I'll see if he's in trouble. Yeah, exactly. I may I may set an alarm just to check my phone, and then if it's not worth waking up, 100% hit that snooze button. Any upset alert in GoFan Musetti? Big upset alert. I don't know if it's an upset. Ooh, whoa. Make the case, quickly. So, GoFan just doesn't hit big enough to really attack Musetti's weakness. Like when you strip Musetti of time and you push him back, you know, you're really taking away his shot making. And Gafan is, you know, someone who takes time away himself, but kind of massages the ball around the court. Well, Musetti's happy to, you know, run from corner to corner as long as he has time to load up his strokes. Uh, and he's also not, you know, Gafan can't serve him off the court, which I think Musetti's still prone to. So I really think Lorenzo's going to love playing this match, and I, I pick him. Outright. Interesting. The thing is, the north, south, east, west speed of Gofan. If Musetti gets a little drop shot happy, Gofan's got the speed to make him pay. So I do think that's a match. I promise you, there's an ace of the day coming today. The over in that match will be featured. Um, I like Nori Fortangelo just personally. Martinez Corda, it's a third round matchup from last year. Pedro Martinez Portero, just one of my guys for some reason. And then Chilich Rinderneck is the battle of the all Alex type where it's just like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, rangy, fluid. I will continue to say my first call ever as a tennis prognosticator was 2007, watching Chilich at the Australian Open, talking to my older brother and being like, Eric, I swear, this guy's going to win a slam. And I think my voice was actually deeper then than it is now. But um, that's that's my take. I, again, your thoughts on those matches, anything else I may have missed? Well, winner plays Federer if Federer mm-hmm. wins tomorrow. Um, so that's, uh, that, that has some added importance because of that, uh, looking forward to, I mean, the, the court of Martinez, you know, that's an, also an interesting spot in the draw, right? The winner gets, is it Tsitsipas? It's a top seed. I believe so. Yeah. Tsitsipas. Uh, yeah. No, it is. It is. Yeah. Right. So, so I think that's going to be a battle and we'll see how quarter recovers from, from Parma. But I, I just think that all American eyes should be on him right now because he's really showing promise. He's, he's showing promise on clay, which is also a novelty in itself. And he's got a really good test in, in Martinez. Absolutely. I agree with you. That is going to be a fun one. Well, with all of that said, we did 15 minutes on Osaka the last time I had you. Of course, there's been some new news since then. For the first time ever, the four slams have come together and made a statement, <laughs> uh, which, again, you wish this could happen under other circumstances. Now, look, there's nothing tennis Twitter does better than beating a topic to death. And, like, there's nothing better than seeing one person say a take and then 10 minutes later, someone else says that take, presenting it as their own, no citation of, hey, I may have seen that in my timeline five minutes earlier, and I just want to present that as my own to try and drive those likes. Anyways, you know my feelings on all of that. I think it was all covered there. Now, I know we have to talk about it for just two minutes here on this podcast, the big take being, again, the slams, not only indicating that they will continue to find Naomi Osaka, who got hit with the 15K fine today for not attending her press conferences, but, you know, kind of the 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 theme of the message was the press access is a staple and we, we may ban her from playing these events if she's not willing to fulfill her obligations to the slams. Of course, then Maria Osaka came out with a, uh, an explanation kind of of what uh, Naomi was trying to indicate, that she's focusing on her tennis, that it's not a slight of the media, but her just trying to, again, focus on the job she has at hand, which is, again, something we talked about before. Um and then she kind of backed her. She's like, my context, my comments are being skewed, whatever, whatever. 
I just don't know what else there is left to add. Like, again, go read all of the Twitters. You're going to find them all from today. I do want to hear your take, though, on everything that happened today. Yeah, today was, I don't even, I didn't so much as formulate a take as just festered in disappointment with the entire situation. I thought, I think, I mean, I think everything that happened today could have and should have been handled privately with uh, conversations. And I don't know whose fault that is. I don't know if we're looking at the FFT and the Grand Slam board, or I don't know if Osaka has blocked their phone numbers. Whatever it is, they should have had this conversation. And now we have this very uncomfortable and unfortunate standoff where Naomi has kind of dug her heels in and, and looks, you know, has not given any indication that she's going to back down. And now the grand slam board has threatened this insane, insane consequence. If Osaka continues her protest, which is default her from the tournament, they, they referenced that as a possibility. Uh, so this is, this is turned into just like, a this is turned in for me personally from a fun an interesting media story where we can discuss the the merit of of press access and players rights and mental health into something that is just sad and depressing and petty yeah no that's exactly how i feel as well that's why i wanted to give you the platform to say it the only thing i would add if someone says something stupid in your mentions you do not have to amplify it with a retweet and an addressing of why that person is wrong. Like sometimes the first tweet is enough. And all right, I'll say his name. Like Matt, Matt Zemek, friend of the show, big fan of his work. He has often been super kind with his time, especially early on was kind in coming on this podcast whenever possible. He tweets, he treats his responses as though they are like the definition of how everyone is feeling. And like, it is the single most important thing in the world that he responds to each and every little segmented argument. And it's like, you just don't have to do that, my man. Like the first tweet was enough. Like, again, it's not a nuclear war. It's not a Holocaust. <laughs> like we are talking about press access, which is a, it's a long-term issue. There's no denying that. I mean, we did a full 15 minutes on it a couple of days ago. So like, I completely acknowledge the serious implications of this moving forward, but like sometimes you just can let one go. And we're just making such a big deal out of this. It's like, let's talk about the tennis. Like, this is why people get angry because there's nothing tennis Twitter does better. There's nothing tennis media does better than make it a story about themselves. And it's like, that's what this has become is it's no longer about Naomi Osaka's decision to forego press conferences. It's about your response to her decision to forego press conferences. And that is the thing above all else that makes, that drives me crazy, as you know. And I, I just feel like we've reached that point. And you're never gonna get everyone on the same page. Hundred like percent. If, if if you are a pundit, give up. Just yeah. give up now. You're you're not gonna get everyone on. You're not. No, everyone's not gonna be with you. And yeah. sometimes you just need to learn into. You need to learn to just go into something with that expectation that yeah. you are going to have an opinion that not everyone is gonna get on board with. Um. And and this is one of these issues. Yeah, 100%. Say your opinion, by the way. There's no, like I said, Matt, it, in case he hears this and takes it personally, although if he makes it to hour 28 of this podcast, shout out to him. Um, but like, you can let it go. Like, again, 
all right, you've made it clear. Like you understand that the platform provided to these athletes now, Instagram, whatever, they have a little bit more ownership and you would like to see a union. We're all aware of your thoughts. You've written wonderfully about it for tennis with an accent. You don't need to tweet about it 117 times because then it just fills everyone's timeline and the cycle repeats itself. And I drive myself crazy. I don't have enough hair to lose to be this angry anymore, Gil. I can't spike it up beautifully like you can anymore. And so, you know, again, no product. Yeah. Well, I also wouldn't know what to do with that product. I'd like get it in my hair and then I'd be like, well, maybe I should just make a mohawk. And then I'd be like, wait, (laughs) why did I do that? And then it would all just go awry. But now, again, any final thoughts on this? Any final thoughts on day one of this French Open? The, the thing is with, with social media as well is that this was actually going to blow over. Like this was 100% not going to be the Sunday topic of discussion if the Grand Slam board didn't have to release, if they didn't release a statement. Like that. that's when I say this should have been handled privately, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Tell Naomi, just... No, they took the bait as well. They all 100% took the bait. Right. Like they kept it going. And Mm -hmm. this is not a positive story really for probably anyone at this point. They Mm -hmm. think they're right, which is probably why why they want to (laughs) tell the world. Uh, But and, And maybe they are right. They probably are. But that's not what this is about. This is about let's kill this story. So stop releasing statements. No more press releases. Let this go away. Like, if you didn't think your response were going to be filled with, now let's see the one on domestic violence. Like, what were you thinking, Slams? I agree with you. Like, come on. Like, just be smarter than that. I agree. Discretion is dead in 2021. It is. And, like, the idea of going behind the scenes and working back channels, no. Like, let's be loud and proud about our decision here to slap an Iomi in the face. And it's like, come on. Like, you guys can't coordinate a grand slam schedule like the fact that french open announces you know what we decided to push it back a week and wimbledon's like wait what like you're pushing it back a week yet <laughs> the moment naomi osaka does something like this everyone's like hey so you read our statement right we're all on the same page here we all agree and it's like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. let's uh let's pile on and let's do everything we can it's just it's maddening it's absolutely maddening nothing tennis does best than shoot itself in the foot and it has done so once again here but thankfully for us we have two weeks of fantastic tennis to wash everything away. And as we talked about last time, I believe, Gil, you've got some daily content coming down the pipeline as well. It's not just a Monday match analysis. We may get Monday match analysis on a Monday, on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, and a Thursday, perhaps all the days of the week this uh, upcoming fortnight. What do you have in store? As always, plug everything you got. Yeah, um, if you subscribe to the YouTube feed, you're basically going to get a breakdown of a match every day or, or more. Uh, lat- towards the latter stages of the tournaments, I'll I'll get into the preview stuff. Um, so, oh, and then um, some some comment some some mailbags as well throughout the the week. So lots of fun stuff on um, on Monday match analysis. No, you know it's the one thing I listen to each and every time you put out an episode because there's nothing and I and more enjoy. of these also more it, of these. Yes, we are again. The plan is to get Gil on as frequently as possible here on the mini break. A because there's nothing I want to do more than make my mom happy. We've gone full circle here, but B <laughs> uh, of course we always appreciate you taking the time to chat. Of course, the moment you pass me in Twitter followers, those invitations are going away. But um, no, of course, it is always Getting a close. Pleasure. Yeah, I think we may have even <laughs> you probably passed me while we were recording this podcast. Um, but, you know, as always, it is a pleasure. Send my love to Jenna and, uh, you know, don't be a stranger. We will talk to you more throughout the next two weeks. Absolutely, sir. Pleasure as always. I'll talk to you soon. Take care.
all of you enjoyed my conversation with my eyebrow nemesis, Gil Gross, a shout-out to him, as always, for taking the time to recap an action-packed day one. It feels like, again, you know that over-under. We're always going to hit right around that 90-minute mark. That's how fond, I suppose, I am of his company. I try to milk it for all it's worth, but of course, that speaks to how juicy the action was on day one, and the action continues tomorrow, so hopefully all of you will be joining us once again to hear us recap day two, and again, we will have podcasts for all of you every day throughout these next two weeks of the French Open to ensure you listeners have all the information you need to thoroughly enjoy the year's second Grand Slam. Of course, if you have missed out on any of the action, you can find it all on our website, CrackRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly. I am at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out, as well, to our friends at Midwest Sports slash Tennis Point. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. As always, I will ask you, like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, as well as everything else we are doing here at Cracked Rackets. If you want to hear our GSP aces of the day, my picks for each of the day's matches. You can find them on the GSP feed or watch them on video on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. But with that in mind, for my wonderful co-hosts, Gil Gross, our super producers, Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports slash Tennis Point, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>